The advice and opinions expressed by the host of Autism Live and her guests are meant solely as suggestion and should not be in any way construed as child-specific advice. The Center for Autism and Related Disorders advises working with a board-certified behavior analyst who has experience with autism before starting any intensive behavioral intervention. Any choices you make in determining your child's treatment are completely at your own discretion. Welcome to Autism Live. I'm Shannon Penrod. We're coming to you live from the Warner Center in Woodland Hills, California. Maybe not. I don't know. I just lost my monitors. There they are. We are coming to you live. Uh, it's It's been a little while since we've been with you live since uh, last week. Uh, lots going on, and we're going to talk about some of that uh, in within this hour. But it is January in Los Angeles, January everywhere, really, and there there is stuff going around. Uh, we're going to hopefully give you some information today that will help you to combat whatever's going around in your area of the world. But we're here today. I'm here today. I can't wait to talk with all of you. I've missed you. Uh, so Traven is going to show you some of the different ways that you can reconnect with the show here by watching or by writing in a question or a comment or a suggestion for a segment. Remember that this whole show is meant to be interactive. We want to hear from you. We want to know your thoughts, feelings, questions, concerns, all of that. It's all free. Um, and so Traven's showing you some of the different ways you can connect. He's start, he started by showing you our homepage, autism-live.com. That is our homepage. And there are lots of other ways to watch, but there are some advantages to the homepage. One is that you have access to the full library of videos and they're searchable many different ways. Um, so you can search for topics that are or names of people um, that are of interest to you. We are always upgrading that. So uh, if you don't find something you want, let us know so that we can put that into our keywords and help you to find what you're looking for. Uh, there are other ways on the page, other things to do on the page, not the least of which is chatting with us live. The chat button is at the very bottom of the website page. If you click on it, it opens a box and you can type and hit enter. It comes to me, only me, and there is a little bit of a delay as it goes from you to a satellite and then bounces back down to me. So uh, when we have guests on the show, I ask you to ask your questions as early as possible in the segment with the hope that it will get to me before the segment is over. You see what I'm saying? But we love to hear from you in all the different ways. Uh, sometimes it's more immediate on Facebook and YouTube. And we're showing you the ways that you can do that as well. Um, but it's less anonymous on Facebook and YouTube. You know what I'm saying? So if you want that anonymity, head over to our homepage, autism-live.com. And I want to encourage you while you're on that page, a pop-up will come up and it will ask you to subscribe. We encourage you to do that. When you do, you get a postcard from us telling you what's happening on the show, who's going to be on the show, and that's always a, a wonderful thing. We don't spam you. We don't send you other stuff. We're, you know, uh, there have been a couple occasions over the years where we have had access to a coupon for something that we thought that you guys would want or need. Um, I can think of twice that we did that. Um, so it's uh, twice in nine years. So, you know, it's not something that we do a lot, but if I if I feel like, ooh, I'd want this, then, then we send it to you. And I hate spam, so there we are. Uh, that's what that's all about. So anyway, we hope that you will write in. Uh, we, we've had a little bit of a, an interesting thing happen this morning. We set aside most of the show this morning for two very special guests that we told you and we promoted and sent a postcard and said, hey, these people are going to be on the show. Uh, of course, I'm talking about Matt Asner and Nava Paskowitz Asner from the Ed Asner Family Center. And as luck would have it, they are not able to be here with us this morning. So uh, we, we are reconfiguring and um, well, you're going you're gonna to see uh, some or all of this uh, that we're going to do. We've, but I do have time this morning. If you guys write in right now, if you've got a specific question, something on, on your heart or on your head that you want to talk about, write in because we do have a little bit of time today. Uh, we already have some things that we want to talk about, but we've got time for you because you're the most important thing, right? 
Uh, I do like to remind you at the start of any show that I can squeeze the time in that we have tons of experts that are on the show, but I'm not one of the experts. Let's not be mistaken about that. Uh, I am a proud autism mom, and uh, just last night my husband and I were talking that this week marks the 14th uh, anniversary of when our son was diagnosed with autism. And whew, that's been an interesting 14 years, right? Um, now, 14 years in this community does not make me an expert in autism. Let's be abundantly clear about that. But I've also been hosting shows about autism for over a decade now and interviewing people. That doesn't make me an expert either. What it does make me is a person with an informed opinion, which I'm very willing to share. So if there's something you want to know from my informed opinion, you know I'm an open book and that I'm happy to answer any question. And more importantly, if you ask a question and I, I have no way of knowing the answer, I will go hunt for you and see if I can find you an expert who can give you an answer for that. And sometimes that takes time and I apologize for that. I know I'm working on it for a couple of you that are out there, uh, somebody in particular uh, who sent me this pen. I'm, I'm working on an answer for you. I just want you to know that. And I love this pen. It is makes me so happy because you know I love all things the crown. And so this makes me very happy. Um, but thank you so much. Uh, anyway, so write in in whatever format works for you and uh, be persistent. I always tell people be persistent. If I don't get to your question right away, don't feel free to write in on multiple days. It's perfectly fine. That definitely gets my attention. And um, okay, so that's, I just wanted to make sure that you guys know we'd love to hear from you. And, and if you want something from my opinion today, today's a perfect day to get my opinion on something. Now, on Thursdays, we like to start the show with something we fondly refer to as the jargon of the day. This is when we take on one word, one phrase, one acronym. We try to figure out what in the hey, nani nani, are those experts talking about? Why do we need to care? Why does this phrase or this word need to be in our lexicon? And my, my litmus test is always, if I learn what this is, is it going to save me time and money, right? And I try never to bring you jargon that, that won't, you know, meet that criteria. So uh, today's term is an oldie but a goodie. We don't do this one very often, and I wish we would more often. It's three-term contingency. Uh, doesn't it sound like something having to do with senators? <laughs> Like always, these, these things always have like, it has a, like a mystery meaning to it, right? No, it has nothing to do with senators. So let's give you our actual definition first, and then if possible, we'll make fun of it. Uh, Three-term contingency in operant conditioning, see, already we're off to the races, refers to stimulus control, in particular, an antecedent contingency called the discriminated stimulus, SD, that influences the strengthening or weakening of behavior through such consequences as reinforcement or punishment. Ladies and gentlemen, this is why we have to do jargon. Because, like, I think that all of us, we're, we're pretty savvy, right? We know what all of those words mean individually. But when you shove them all together in that way, I, I think even a person who understands what a three-term contingency kind of goes, what? Uh, <laughs> this is why we do it. Uh, and when we start off with jargon immediately in operant conditioning, because I don't know about you, but oper even now, 14 years in, operant condition is not something that rolls trippingly off my tongue while I'm having tea with the ladies at, you know, Starbucks. No. Um, so let's see if we can't water this down, give you a working de definition that kind of makes sense. Because this is the pathway. The three-term contingency is the ABCs of behavior. This is the roadmap that is for everybody's behavior. It, it very quickly, and I, you know, we have the ABC because it stands for different things. And yes, I know antecedent is more jargon. Stick with me. But so there's always an A, that's the antecedent. The B is the behavior. The C is the consequence. Okay, so we're, we know, okay, ABC, I can remember that. But what's an antecedent and what does this have to do with me and my life and my kid or my husband or my boss, and it has everything to do with those things. So antecedent, very simply, is what happened before. I kept it A, B, C with the antecedent, because antecedent is how the experts say it, but also because it fits better with A, B, C. 
if we put a WBC, we, you know, that means something else entirely. So ABC, antecedent, it's what happened before. So every single day, every single living creature on the planet is doing this, the three-term contingency. There is an antecedent, something happens, then there is a behavior, and then there is a consequence. It happens over and over and over again. You and I are doing it right now, and everybody is. This is not just people on the spectrum. This is not just human beings. Dogs do this, bees do this, plants do this. There is an antecedent, something happens, then there is a behavior, and then there is a consequence for it. Now, the example that I always like to give, because we all do this every single day, uh, as long as we have electricity, and if you're watching me on the internet, I'm presuming that you have electricity, right? At some point in the day, there is a moment in which the light becomes so dim that we get up and we turn on a light. We do this every single day. So the light changes or we've walked into another room, right? That's the antecedent. The behavior is we flick the light switch and what is the consequence for that? Light floods the room, right? And you and I are very used to this. We do this on a daily basis. We, and I always, when you move, and I've moved a lot in my life, and you move into a new apartment or a new house, it's always that weird thing when you don't know where the light switches are and you have to actually think about it. And for me, I don't feel like I'm really home in, in the home that I've move, moved into until I can reach for the light switch and I just do it automatically, right? But the fact of the matter is that there is this behavior chain that happens over and over and over. So now that you understand what it is, think about all the things that you do in the day and what is the antecedent, what is the behavior, what is the consequence for it, right? And what things do you do over and over and over again? Because this is really the, cru the crux of the matter. Be we have these behavior chains that we do and sometimes they're behaviors that we like. Like for those of you, and God bless you, the people who get up every morning and put on their running shoes and they go for a run. Man, I wanna be you when I grow up, right? But, but there is an antecedent and then there's a behavior and there's a consequence for it. And here's the deal, for you, that consequence for going running is that something about it feels good to you. There's some sort of paycheck inherent in that behavior for you. It may be that you're able to put on your skinny jeans. It may be that you breathe better. It may be that it makes you less stiff and you've learned that, right? In my life, the if I get up and my antecedent is that I go, okay, I'm gonna put on my running shoes and then my behavior is that I go run, the consequence is that I'm in screaming pain and out of breath. And this, there's nothing happy about that for me. So guess how often I get up and go for a run? You know, pretty much never. Right? I'm going to have in my life, but it wasn't rewarding enough for me, quick enough for me to maintain that behavior. So look, if we can just decide what are the things that I want to do more of in my life and what are the things that I want to do less of in my life, right? And we manipulate the antecedent and the consequence, we will get to the behavior that we want to engage in. And that's the truth. Science has shown that again and again and again. So if there's something that you personally want to do, whether it's a behavior you want to do more of or a behavior you want to do less of, right? We've learned that so often we concentrate on the behavior and go, I wish I was running every morning. I wish I was running every morning, but nothing changes, right? Because we didn't change the antecedent and we didn't change the consequence. This is where all the power is in the A and in the C. So now think about when you're someplace with your kiddo and they're engaged in a behavior. And it doesn't have to be your kiddo. It could be your coworker, right? Um, that they're engaged in a behavior and we tend to focus on the behavior. I wish they wouldn't do that. I don't want them to do that. I'm asking them not to do that, right? How's that working for all of us? Not so good, right? Because most of the time we really don't have control over the behavior. What are you going to do? Tie the person down and make them stop doing the thing they're doing or force them to do the thing they're doing? No, that's not effective, right? And it's not fun. And, then, and even if you could, and this is part of parenting, right? If you could force your kid to do something over and over and over again, and you force, 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 okay. And there's tiger moms out there who think that that's the ticket, right? But then what happens when the kid is 18 and leaves home? Or what happens when the mom walks out of the room? they revert back to doing what they want to do. They're real, it doesn't really change behavior. It's just 
miserable, right? You really want to change behavior for yourself or somebody else, you change the antecedent and you change the consequence. So this is a lot of what we talk about on the show. Um, you know, we talk about ABA, and this is part of the science of ABA, applied behavior analysis, where you, you, you not notice a behavior that either is happening that we don't want to have happen, or we want it to lessen, or we want a behavior to happen more. Like, we want our child to read more right? This is all about the negative, right? We want our child to read more. Well, what is the antecedent before the reading and what's the consequence for reading? Because we can make the antecedent be more likely that they will read, right? And we can make the consequence so that it maintains it and that they want to read again. If we go back to the example of me running, if we really wanted to get me running, we would need to change the antecedent before, right? To something really pleasurable, that you know really motivated me to want to go run and then we would for sure change the consequence to something that is meaningful to me that overrides the pain because you know i know intellectually i know that eventually if i kept doing it then it would maintain itself because i would feel healthier right but i got to get past that so i would have to have some bigger reward right there in the consequence see what i mean okay one last thing about the A, B, and the C is that when we are used to doing something and we've set up a circumstance in our life and we're like, I do this, then uh, you know this happens, I do this behavior, and then I get this consequence, we get really entrenched in that, don't we? Where it's like, that is the way it is and there is no other way, right? We're all like that. Let's go back to my example of the light switch on the wall. We're all used to that. We go, we flick the light switch, the light comes on, and we don't even think twice about it, right? We're happy with our consequence and we go on with the world. So what happens when we go into a room, and I always use the example of the master bath at my old uh, house that I was living at, that I, you know, I go and I turn on the light switch and no light. Well, I'm used to this consequence. And I am an adult person with a master's degree, but what do I do? I stand there and I flick the light switch up and down because it's supposed to work, right? Don't we all do that? And I will stand there, even though I understand it's not working. Maybe the light bulb is burnt out. Maybe in our case, it was a short in the, in the thing. But I stand there and flick the light. And do I do this once? No, I do it more than that because I come back an hour later and I go to flick because I'm not even thinking about it. I'm used to the consequence, split the light switch, it doesn't come on. I do it again, even though I know the light's not working. Okay, that is called an extinction burst. And it is a normal part of when we're breaking up a pattern of behavior. So I just want you to know, as you go to play with this throughout your day and you're like, oh, I'm going to change the antecedent, I'm going to change the consequence, and I'm going to have instant results, right? If you're trying to change something that is deeply entrenched, there's going to be an extinction burst where the person is going to be like, no, I'm 100% sure when I do this that this works. What's going on here? Why am I not getting the reinforcer that I thought I was going to get, right? Um, and that is adults, that is children, that is people on the spectrum, that is people not on the spectrum. So if you're trying to change a behavior that your child has, is entrenched in and used to getting a consequence, you're at the grocery store and they throw a hissy fit and grandma has given them a lollipop twice in their life, you never did it but grandma did, um, and so now every time you're in the grocery aisle they throw a tantrum, you can change the, con the antecedents and you for sure want to change the consequence but just realize that they're going to throw a bigger tantrum because they're like, wait a second, I'm used to getting the lollipop here. Don't be shocked by that. Don't be put off by that. Don't think it doesn't work because of that. In fact, the, the extinction burst that I'm going to try really hard because this has worked before actually shows you that it is working. And if you can ride that through to the end and still not give in to the consequence that it was getting before, it, it, very often that's the end of it. I could talk about that forever. And if you want to know more about that, write in and, and talk about that with me. Uh, but the three-term contingency is something that we talk about a lot. In fact, a lot of times I will ask parents uh, um, to take a sheet of paper and fold it into thirds. When your child is doing something and you're like, I need some help, the first best place to start is to fold your paper into thirds and put at the top A, B, C. And you take this with you everywhere. And when your child is engaging in a behavior that's a problem for you, the, the behavior that you want somebody to help you with, 
when they're engaging that behavior, you become a scientist and you make sure that everybody's safe, but you look at the behavior and you go, okay, so there's kicking, there's screaming, you know, there's gnashing of teeth, there's biting, there's yelling, whatever. Because later on you're going to write it down and go, he was doing this and he did it for 20 minutes, right? Um, and now the, you always write the behavior first, the middle column, behavior. But then you want to think to yourself, okay, and so how did it stop? And what happened when he was done? And that's the consequence. And don't judge yourself. We have all in some way reinforced a, a behavior that we didn't want without realizing it, right? So don't judge yourself. But if, you know, if like I was guilty of my child would throw a tantrum and then I would rock him and hug him afterwards. I'd be like, oh, don't be upset. And Mama would rock him and hug him and give him lemonade and cookies. <laughs> uh, so you would write that under, under consequence and not judge yourself. And then ask yourself, okay, now that I've written what the behavior was and what, what the consequence was, now think, okay, so what happened right before that? And open up your mind to all the possibilities of all the things. Like, did you feed them something? Did you not feed them something? Had they had anything to drink? In the, you know, did they just poop their pants? Did they, you know, what happened right before? Um, and write down, this is where you're kind of a detective. You have to go back in time and think, hmm. And sometimes it's easier when a second person is there. But write down whatever and keep track of all of these things. And you will see patterns that will pop up. It's kind of exciting. And then give that to whoever the professional is in your life and say, take a look at this. What do you think is going on here? It will help them so much and it will save you time and money. And really that's, that's part of why we do jargon. So there you go. The three-term contingency, I'm telling you, it's powerful. Powerful, powerful, powerful stuff. Okay, let's move on to our question of the day. And by the way, you can be answering the question on Facebook, on YouTube, on Twitter. We like all of them. And um, Okay, so here's our question today. Who makes you light up when they come into the room? Who, like, when they come in the room, you're like, oh, I'm so excited to see you. And let me just tell you that uh, we all need to be this way with our kids and with our significant others. And if you can be this way with your friends, yippee kaye, right? Um, but we need to be this way with our kids and with our significant others. And if you're not feeling it, I'm telling you, pretend, because uh, I do think that this is the answer to a lot of things. I love uh, the story that um, I have a very dear friend who I just adore and have known her since college. And she was somebody who was very much a part of our story and was one of the people I could count on to babysit after my son was diagnosed in those hard times when you just don't know who you can trust. And she's like unbelievably awesome. And there was a period of time in which he couldn't remember people's faces and he couldn't remember their names for anything, like just not at all. But I remember going to a party and I didn't know if she was going to be there or not. And it was a party for adults and kids. It was actually a Toys for Tots party. And, um, and I hadn't told him that she was going to be there because I didn't know if she was going to be there. You know, it was one of those things that she was iffy. And so we, we got to the party and I remember he was walking through this hallway. I was holding his hand. We were walking through the hallway and she came out of the other hallway and he saw her and he just looked up and he said, oh, I love you. And it was his way of recognizing you're somebody that I know and you're somebody that I care about. But his little face lit up. And, and it was the purest, most honest thing in the world. And she and I still talk about it, that it was just like, you know, you want to get something with no artifice. How about a child on the spectrum who doesn't even, can't even remember your name, but he has recognition that you are somebody that is reinforcing to me, right? Um, and how much that meant to her. And just for me to witness that was truly awesome. But Ask yourself, who, who lights up when you come in the room? And are you lighting up for the right people? I forget sometimes, just keeping it real, I forget. But when we can do this, I know that when my husband comes home, there are sometimes that I'm in the middle of something, he comes home and it's like, hey, you know, and I'm like, not even that sometimes, right? But there's this like little joke between us that when, uh, when my son was little, he would come in the door and I would go, daddy's home. And it would be this, oh, and there are times that I still do that. And my husband loves it and it makes him so happy. Like it's free. I don't know why I don't do it every day, but I'll do more of it, I promise. Um, but I'm asking you, are you lighting up for your kid when they come in the room? And are you lighting up for your significant other? And who else do you need to light up for? And, and are they lighting up for you? 
because we all need to be lighting up for the, pe the right people in our lives, right? Free, easy to do, and it, it's an antecedent, you guys. Everything that comes after that will be better because it sets us up for success. That is a true antecedent modification. Light up when somebody you care about comes in the room, watch what happens. Okay, now moving on, we always have a topic for our week. And as we finish out the week here, we still have one more day tomorrow, but our topic this week bum, ba, da, ba, is positive thinking. Um, because, you know, we have choices every single day. And what's, what's wrong is always available, always, and we can focus on that. But if we can acknowledge that what is not going well is there, we're not trying to poo-poo it because that doesn't do any good, right? Stuffing it down helps no one. But that wider idea of what else is here. Okay, so we may not be where we want to be today, but, you know, what, what is good right now? And it might be as simple as your breathing. That might be it. But you know what? that's pretty good. And we all have been in the circumstance where somebody suddenly wasn't breathing, whether it was for a minute or more, and boy, then it gets real, right? And, and we would give anything for it to be like it is today. And it might be boring today, but we're breathing, right? So that positive thinking, looking and saying, okay, what can I use here? Not negating what's wrong or what isn't working or what's challenging, right? But what, what is good? And there's always just like what's wrong is always available what's right is always available too. that bigger picture so we'll, we'll try to find some time to talk about positive thinking all right so as I said at the start of the show we were planning on having uh, Matt and Nava Asner Nava Paskowitz Asner on to talk about the Ed Asner Family Center because they got a new set of classes that are starting we're gonna have them on next week but I want to let you know that if you are in the Los Angeles area, you need to go to their website, the Ed Asner Family Center, and see the classes that they are starting this week. Oh my goodness, there are so many different things. And if you have kiddos that are over the age of 10 and, and you've been like, mm, there's just nothing going on, I just want to tell you, you got to go there. You got to go there and see what's going on and you will see that there's plenty going on. There's something for literally everyone. Um, very exciting. I, uh, everybody in our house was a little under the weather, but I so wanted to go to the drum circle on Saturday. And it's just one of the many things that they have. We're going to have them on next week to talk about stuff, but don't wait for that. Go to the website, see all the classes, and go try one of them. Take your kiddo and try one of them, and you can, you can stay for the class. Some of the classes you can take with them. They, they have ballroom dancing that you go and take with your kiddo. I'm telling you, if you live in the Los Angeles area or can get to the Los Angeles area, go, do it, see. Um, and I know that the rest of you are chartreuse with envy because all the things that they have are not available everywhere. But I, I'll tell you, it's, it's the power. I always say the power of one. In this case, it's the power of two because the two of them have been working on this for years to have this come to fruition. And they are parents like anyone else. And they were like, we're going to do this, we're going to do this. And it took them a while to get this started. So you can do it too. But if you're in the Los Angeles area, you don't have to because Matt and Ava have already done it for you, uh, which is a very fabulous thing. Um, but so instead of having Matt and Ava on, of course, we're going to do our mindfulness moment because it's Thursday. But um, we also have this really big show coming up on Monday where we're going to have Bonnie Yates on. And then we are having this wonderful director of the new short that's called Loop. It's a Pixar short. And so we are not going to have time for jargon on Monday and we didn't want to shortchange you. So we're going to hit a second jargon here in a minute. Um, and we've got other stuff, including your questions coming up as well. And, uh, and our um, suggestions for if the flu comes to your house, some things that you want to have stocked up to have in the house to help you to make it be a shorter and certainly a safer trip through the flu. So all of that coming up after these messages, stick with us. Welcome back to Autism Live. Hey, apparently we were having some audio issues in the first part of the show, and some of you wrote in and thank you. We always appreciate that. We think that we've solved the problem, but if you're still having audio issues, will you please write in and let us know so that we'll know that we have not 
yet found the total fix all for all. Um, thank you so much for doing that. I uh, also want to address a couple of other things that you guys have written in about. I uh, want to thank S. Sharkey for telling us that they light up when their son comes in the room. See, now you're doing it right. That's the exact thing. And don't think for a second that they don't notice because I'm 100% sure that they do. Um, Anne, Anna Maria wrote it and said, Hi, Shannon, where should I start in finding the root cause for my son stimming? It is mainly visual. He is moving things so that he can watch them with the corner of the eye. I did not manage to find the functionality for it. Thanks. Big hugs from Romania. Oh my gosh. Thank you so much. Big hugs back um, to Romania. So uh, first of all, let's for, for anybody who's just joining us and stimming, let's, let's define what that is. So stimming is short for self-stimulatory behavior which is a term that everybody uses um, for those, those uh, a wide variety of behaviors, things like hand flapping, looking at things out of the corner of the eye, uh, among a bunch of other things. I want to say, just for the record, that it's, it's a very misleading title, the self-stimulatory behavior that got you know, shaved down to stim and stimming, um, because actually the correct term for it is automatically reinforced behavior. The reason why I don't love self-stimulatory, uh, and even like the first time that I asked somebody, why does my son do this? And they said, oh, his stim. And I was like, what is stim? And then they said, oh, that's for self-stimulatory behavior. And I was like, no, it's not that because it's not him trying to stimulate himself. It's him trying to calm himself down, right? Um, and sometimes people flap to stimulate themselves, but other times they do it to calm themselves down. And so I, you know, I, I get real touchy about that. If we say automatically reinforcing, that means it could be to stim, it could be to calm down, it could be for something else, but there's something internal about it that gives, that gives a paycheck, which, you know, is, is a very viable function, that it's automatically reinforcing is a function. Um, and, and a lot of times things uh, like looking at things out of the corner of the eye, uh, it's automatic reinforcing. But we have to be very careful when we're looking at behavior because some behavior is driven by medical issues, right? Like um, our kids rocking, sometimes that's, be and if they're, especially if they're applying pressure to their stomach, that is sometimes an indication that there's things going on in their gut and they are in pain, right? Um, kids who, who constantly like hit themselves in the head or poke themselves in the eye, sometimes that's an indication of a headache that we don't know about, right? So we always have to be careful with the self-stimulatory and, and automatic reinforcing that we rule out medical things. And with the looking out of the corner of the eye, there is a potential that, um, that that is the only place that your child can focus. And let me tell you that there are a, uh, there's a swath of kids with autism that have um, ocular motor issues. Uh, my kid was one of them. And I, I remember somebody talking about this and I was like, what? That's not my kid, right? But then they were like, well, you know, is your child uh, particularly clumsy? Is your child um, having a hard time with reading? And I was like, mm, no, my child isn't having a hard time with reading. Does your child have a hard time catching a ball? Does your, is your uh, child a little bit um, challenged with balance? Is their handwriting particularly interesting, right? And some of those things my son fit and some of them they didn't. So I kind of poo-pooed it, but uh, a specialist said to me, I think it's time that you take him to a developmental I always forget whether it's an optometrist, it's an ophthalmologist, a developmental ophthalmologist, and have him tested. He was probably eight when we did that, and we had a particularly good one. Um, and what he did was that he put him through a battery of tests, um, and my child sat in the chair at one point, and he had these two balls. One was gold and one was silver. And, and so first he would show one, and he would say, okay, now track this. And he would say, look at the ball, and my son, and he would tell him, don't move your head. So he'd try to see if his eyes could track. And, and then he had the two balls, and he would be like, look at this one, now switch to this one. He did all these things with the two balls. He looked like an air traffic controller, right? Um, but 
And then he did a bunch of things, um, you know, other tests that were visual, and then he was able to chart the whole thing out for me and say, okay, your son has great skills here, but here, and then he showed me. He put my son back in the chair, and it's like a dentist chair, you know, when you go to the eye doctor, right? And he was having my son follow the ball, and my son was like doing, like he was moving in the chair, and he was squinting, and he said it's because he can't focus except when it's to the side. And there had been a time when my son would only pick things up and look at them from the side. Um, and, and it wasn't that his vision was bad, it was that he couldn't get his eye to stay steady because when he would bring it back to the middle and he was trying to focus, my son's little eyeball would go like this. So there were exercises that we had to do and that took care of it for him. Now for other kids, looking out of the corner of the eye sometimes has to do with the level, level of vitamin A in their bodies. So, you know, there are some things that you can do to work on these things, but you wanna rule out all the medical things first. Um, and for the vitamin A, you can try, um, you could take them to the doctor and get them tested for vitamin A, or you could give them um, like a really good quality fish oil and see if that makes a difference. I'll be honest with you, with my son, we tried that um, first for the looking out of the corner of the eye and it made it worse. So be careful, don't give a mega dose of A, right? Give an appropriate dose of A and see if it makes a difference. Um, but also I would try to make an appointment with a developmental ophthalmologist just to see if your child is on track because uh, if it is that issue, it's going to make so many other skills really hard for them. Um, and we saw that my son was already reading and reading well, and the doctor said, I don't know how, he must be motivated to read because this would be so frustrating to read. And once we did the exercises, uh, it was so much better. So uh, make sure you rule those things out. Maybe try the vitamin A, see if it works, but make sure, don't do a really strong dose. Do a really down the middle of the road. And if you're going to do fish oil, get a really good quality fish oil. Um, and you can go online um, to check out. I don't know what the good quality fish oil is at this point, but you know who would know is the folks over at Taka. I really encourage you, if you're looking at supplements, go to tacanow.org over at Taka, and you can even sign up and get yourself a free mentor to talk about the biomedical stuff. And, and I'll tell you what, those parents know more about the biomedical than any, anybody else on the planet. Um, they're not doctors, but oof, they have a wealth of knowledge. Uh, so I hope that helps. Um, but there is some reason why he's looking out of the corner of his eye. Um, and, and it's something internal. So that puts it into the automatic reinforcement. And we don't want to take away things until we can appropriately um, give a replacement behavior. So if somebody is doing something because that is the only way that they can see it, we wouldn't want to take that away. I will tell you though, that if your child um, is laying down to look at something from the side, that we want to prevent. That we want to sit him back up and, and give him, and if he has to hold it up here to look at it, uh, if that's the only way he can see it, we don't want to take that away until we solve some of the other issues. But you should be able to get an appointment with an ophthalmologist fairly quickly. Uh, is it so Traven's talking to me right now and I want to know if it's related to the other one or I just need to look at it. Okay. Okay. Oh, okay. So somebody says I have uh, one who likes to squint but doesn't need glasses. It hasn't come to me yet, Draven. Um, you know, uh, again, I would, there's the ophthalmologist and an optometrist, right? But then there's a developmental ophthalmologist. And so not only is there the eye and the muscles like in the eye that are in the iris that help um, the, the eye to be able to, to focus on something, but there's all the muscles along the sides of the eye. And sometimes in our kiddos, those are not strengthened. And we can strengthen them and then their eyesight becomes better. Uh, because they're able to focus their eyeball to be steady on what they want to focus it on. So um, it isn't about your, you know, 20-20 uh, vision. It's about being able to have your eye stop where you want it to and focus on that. So uh, for the, the child that doesn't need glasses but squints, 
I would definitely go to the developmental ophthalmologist um, and tell them I, exactly what's going on and they won't think you're crazy. They'll be like, oh, okay, I know a test to do for that. Um, and that'll be a fabulous thing. All right, so uh, we're gonna take a short break and then we're gonna come back and do mindfulness. Don't go anywhere. You can keep writing in too. Stick with Welcome back to Autism Live. We like to do a mindfulness moment on Thursday. And um, I love it when parents often will ask me, okay, so I don't know how to do this with my kid. And, and I just want to say we, we sometimes complicate things and make them harder than we need to do. Uh, so for mindfulness, what we're trying to do is just get present. I know everybody has this idea of what that looks like. But present means that we're in this moment and that we're breathing and we're mindful about being in this moment with other people. I got to be honest. I think sometimes our kids are better at this than we are. And sometimes, especially, you know, when a parent says to me, well, but my child is nonverbal and, you know, my child is very busy, you know, and I, and I just want to say sometimes we decide that, oh, well, that's going to be hard because other things are hard. But actually the mindfulness thing doesn't have to be. That sometimes it can be as simple as sitting with your child and drawing on their hand to get them to be present. Um, some kids like that sensory input or they pr might prefer it on the back of their hand or they might prefer it on their back. For other kids, it, it, it's not about the light touch, it's about a squeeze. It's about squeezing um, and they like, their, there are different parts of their body that they like to have squeezed. Um, and you know, we were taught to do things so that you could do them anywhere. Like obviously when you're at home, you can squeeze your child and you can hug them, but sometimes it's not appropriate when you're out and about, right? Um, and sometimes you can't, like you're sitting in airplane seats and you cannot give a whole body squeeze to your child because that would mean taking them out of their safety belt, right? Um, so we were taught things that we could do no matter where we are and that being able to squeeze a child at their elbows uh, now, again, be mindful of the fact that it's not a one-size-fits-all. For one kiddo, that might make them, you know, sc scream and jump and whatever. But for another kiddo, that might be really calming. And, and so you take the moment. And, you know, if we were talking about kids who aren't on the spectrum, at some point we would be talking about making eye contact through this. But for our kids, sometimes that is not helpful for them to get them in the moment. But they're really in tune often, not always, but often with breath. So that if we are very mindful about our breath while, while we're doing it, you'll see that your child will often migrate to the, the, the same breathing that you are. Um, we have families that when kids are very little, they, um, you know, we teach the breathing buddies thing where you put the stuffed animal on their stomach and you, you know, show them and you put one on your stomach too and you show them that when you breathe, the animal goes up and down really slowly, right? But if a child is very little, you can put them on your stomach and breathe with them. That's a great way to get a kid to go to sleep, by the way, is if you are there and mimicking the sleep breath, they will mimic the sleep breath. and and they've shown that that's the quickest way to get somebody to go to sleep, right? We're very sympathetic to other people's breath. And if you have some senses that are heightened and some that are like not, breathing potentially has the ability to really connect. So don't, don't necessarily be like, well, you know, we're gonna meditate in this way, we will sit in the lotus position and we will set the timer for this amount of time and we will, you know, have our eyes closed. It's, it just isn't that one size, right? It's, it's really so much more involved in that than that. Um, there are even video games. Uh, the Wii Fit, for example, has, uh, you know, when you have the balancing board, um, and if you have one of these, get this out and try it with your kiddos. See if it's something that they respond to, but there's a little avatar on the TV set. They sit on the balancing board, and, and there is a, um, uh, I'm trying to think, it's like a, a circle that is, that's supposed to prompt the breath. And so it goes like this on the screen. It breathes with you and the little person sits there and it registers their motion and it gives them a little reinforcer. It gives them points if they can sit still. 
Now, I gotta be honest with you, it's not all about sitting still. Um, but if that's something that you want to work on, you know, and there are other, other video games like that, but Wii Fit, the old Wii Fit, which you can probably, you know, get a used one, um, very inexpensively at this point, go to the GameStop and, or, you know, go on Amazon and buy a used one. Um, it's probably very inexpensive. Um, so there are lots of different ways, but even, um, just taking a couple of moments and finding a way to connect and, and almost create like a pod around you and the person. And boy, if it's three seconds to start with, reward yourself for that and be like, hey, we got three seconds today. And then you want to build to five seconds, which then builds to a minute, which builds to five minutes, right, of connection between you and the person. So often, the thing that parents want the most is that connection, but we're, we're like, we, we're censoring it. We're like trying to talk to them. We're trying to get them to make eye contact with it. It's all on our terms. If we can just do mindfulness ourselves and go, I'm just going to be here with this individual um, and we are going to be here together and I'm going to find the way to connect with this person non-verbally, not necessarily with eye contact for you know, and set yourself a baseline of, uh, you know, see how long you can make it and go, okay, that's my baseline. And then try to just inch that up a little bit every day. I think you'll find that will help you with mindfulness and it will help you with connection with that individual and that they will start to be more mindful of the fact that, oh, this is a thing that we do together. Then later on down the road, you can work on doing it individually. But I, I just, you know, I hope that whoever is watching and listening today, we always have a thing about, oh, you know, I'm sure that works for this kid because they can do X, Y, and Z. And I can remember a time when my son, we called him Mr. Busy Pants, right? He just went, went, went all the time. There was no getting him to sit still. And I, I'll be honest with you, when he was first diagnosed and I saw the videos online of people doing ABA therapy and there were kids sitting at a table and they were doing things and I was like, well, you know, that lets us out right out the gate because my kid couldn't sit at a table. He couldn't sit. That didn't happen. I was like, well, if I could get him to sit at a table, we could do all these things, right? So forget it. That's not available to us. But I got to be honest with you, I still found a way eventually that I could connect with him where we could sit and do something together. What I discovered was that he loved to hear stories. And I could be telling him a story, or he loved to be sung to or read to, but he could only do it if he had something to hold in his hands, and then he could connect with you. So that was my entree into him. There's an entree into every kid. Don't give up. Find the way. And sometimes it is as simple as just sitting with them and listening to, you know, to the behavior that you're seeing um, to make that connection and, and try, you know, just lightly drawing on their hands. See if that works. Uh, try the squeezes, gentle squeezes to see if that works. See what connects you to that individual. All right. Uh, we're going to take another break and then we're going to look and see if we have more questions from you guys. And uh, we'll talk a little bit more when after these messages. Okay, so we're going to do down dog next. Okay. So with down dog, there are several different ways that you can do it, and I want to show you first and then help right. you with yours so that we can work on what feels good for you. Okay? All right, because there's no right way to do it. It's more about what your body likes, right? So for me, what I'm gonna do is start off with my hands at the top of my mat, my headlights. My fingers are, are um, aiming towards the top of my mat. And then I'm going to tuck my toes. And then my head is also gonna drop and I'm going to look between my toes. Okay. Okay. And my body should be, or hopefully, like an A shape. Or V, yes. <laughs> yep. And so if your quads are tight or your hamstrings are tight, you might need to bend your knees a little bit. <laughs> or if your shoulders are a little strained or a little tight, remember to push in through your feet. But also sometimes what feels really good is going down on your forearms like this. You can actually start out this way instead, it's a little easier. 
So your forearms rest on the floor. You still tuck your toes, and then you're still looking between your toes, but rather than being on your hands then, your weights along your hands and your forearms. Okay? All right. So, now it's your turn. Okay. So, yep. You're gonna do on your hands? Okay, yep. So your fingers are facing the front of the mat. Are you doing forearms? Forearms? Okay, there we go. Wow, you're very bendy. Very nice. And your gaze is right here between your toes. Excellent. Very nice, Jem. Wow. Awesome. Feet are a nice distance apart. How does that feel? Okay. Awesome. You want to come down? Excellent. Good. Good. So that was my kid. Um, when he was probably like 10, I think he was uh, about 10 there, I said to Trayvon, oh, you know. Um, but, so, you know, so interesting to see him at the different places along the way. I just want to point out that that was him at 10, and we really didn't rehearse that. We, like, took over the kitchenette and, and hung a banner at, so that we would have a space to film with about 10 minutes' notice. And uh, so he was learning it right there in front of you. And Sucho is amazing. She's just a great teacher. And, and she's, he's done stuff with her before, so he trusted her implicitly, right? Um, but I want to point out that when my son was three, that could not have happened. That would never have happened. Like, that would have been wild times, right? Um, so there's different things at different points along the way for different kids. But if you're there with a three-year-old and like, mm, that's not going to happen, I just want to let you know if you keep doing... Um, and there's lots of lessons like learning through observation and, you know, it takes a while to get to that kind of a thing. But your kiddo, you might be surprised what they can do with time and with repeated effort and with reinforcement, right? Um, so, uh, okay, we had somebody who wrote in and said, uh, and I don't, I don't have the actual wording, but somebody wrote in and said that they have... Uh, uh, their child is a little aggressive, I believe was the, was the term that they used. So um, let's talk about aggression with the three-term contingency, shall we? So um, we know that in behavior, everything has a reason why it happens, and it's really around the consequences often um, that things happen, but the antecedent is not unimportant either, right? So again, it's the ABCs of behavior. Antecedent, something happens, we have behavior, and then there's a consequence. Now, in the, in the case of aggression, that's an example of challenging behavior. Nobody really wants aggression, right? It makes all of our lives much more difficult. I don't, I don't, th I can't think of any time in which we, we go, yay, aggression, right? Um, so it isn't something, it certainly isn't something we want to have on a daily basis. Um, I guess that there are times when we want someone to be able to aggress if they're being hurt, right? Um, but that would be very specific circumstances. So what we want to do is look at the, the times when your child is being aggressive and do an ABC evaluation of it and chart it to see how often this is happening, when is it happening, what's the antecedent, and what's the consequence. I don't know what the antecedents and the consequences are, and you may not know right now, and that's okay. That's an okay place to be in. But let me just say, however your old your child is, now is the moment to address this. We don't ever want to go, mm, they'll grow out of that, right? Because often that is not the case. And by the way, that isn't just folks on the autism spectrum. When you look at um, what happens when, when individuals are older, um, you know, the consequences change. When a three-year-old hits somebody, um, the consequence is vastly different than when an 18-year-old does, uh, you know, because then we get into legal cir circumstances and the person can end up in jail. So we don't want to wait and deal with this when they're 18. We don't want to wait and, you know, but I will say, no matter how old your child is, now is the moment to deal with it, right? Because as early as possible is the answer. So um, let's say... Um, I'm getting way ahead of myself here. So there are lots of different reasons why somebody would hit, right? And there are four main reasons uh, why anybody does anything that's a challenging behavior. And perhaps it would behoove us to go over those very quickly. So one, we do things for attention, 
And I notice I said we, because we all do. We do things for attention, and remember that it's not just positive attention that we do things for, we also do things for negative attention. We also do things to gain access to someone or something, right? We, do, we engage in challenging behavior to avoid someone or something. And then, of course, the fourth one is what we already talked about when something is automatically reinforcing. Now, can something be a combination platter of all four? For sure. But there's always one that sort of leads off. Now, the danger is that sometimes somebody does something. Let's say that, um, you know, uh, there's two children playing and one of them has the ball. And the other child wants the ball but does not have the way of asking for a ball. They don't have the verbal communication. They don't have the social skills. Um, but at some point, they learned that, oh, if I slap the person, they will have an automatic reinforce and they, um, you know, reaction and they'll drop the ball. Now the ball is mine, right? So they, not knowing the consequences of this will hurt them and I will get in trouble, they slap the kid, now I've got the ball. Winning, now I'm going to hit more often to get the ball because it worked. Even if it only worked for five seconds, it worked. And they get that. Our kids are intelligent. They get what works. So now I know I hit and I get the ball. And that's, you know, that's working for me. But now I've got somebody who comes over, the well-meaning teacher comes over and, and is in my face and is like, hey, we don't do that. We don't hit people. And maybe I understand a tenth of what this really beautiful teacher is saying, but I like the attention. So all parts of this are good for me right? Uh, now I, I'm hitting to get the ball and hoping I get that attention that the teacher comes over and gives me because she's fabulous. I like the way she smells and she's talking to me and it's all about me right now, right? So one can turn into another, right? Um, also with aggression, when somebody hits somebody, sometimes the, the feel of it becomes, and it becomes automatically reinforcing. So we for sure want to get a hold of aggression before it becomes all four, right? And even if it's already all four, now is the time to get a hold of it, right? So you take your chart, what's the antecedent, what's the consequence, and then you got to look at what are the common factors. Like, is there, what, you know, is there a commonality in the antecedents? Is there a commonality in the consequences? And then we do a behavior intervention plan, and there's a great one in skills um, that uh, it's part of the skills program, but you can, you can order just the behavior intervention plan, and basically it asks you a bunch of questions, and then it helps you to say, okay, what's happening before, what's happening afterwards, here's what we think the, the function of the behavior is, here's some recommendations, can you do this for an antecedent modification, can you change this part of the equation, and it'll give you some suggestions. It always, because any good behavior intervention plan has this, it has a replacement behavior. Often this is something where you have to teach the person something, uh, but there is a replacement behavior because whatever it is that they were getting, we need to make sure that they're getting someplace else. A lot of behavior intervention plans, for some reason, leave that out. That's a bad behavior intervention plan. If I am rocking, there is a reason why I'm rocking. And if you don't give me something else that fulfills the same need as rocking, guess what I'm going to do when you turn your back? I'm going to rock, right? And if hitting is fulfilling a need for me, then we have to make sure that we give a replacement behavior. Now, often with aggression, it is communication. Because if I can't get what I need, I'm going to aggress. And, and, I, and I mean that me. You know, I, I always use the example of aliens took me, abducted me, and took me someplace, and I don't speak their language, they don't speak mine. How many minutes, like get the stopwatch out, folks, how many minutes before I start throwing things because I can't get a glass of water because I can't go to the bathroom, I'm hot or cold, and I need to eat? Maslow's hierarchy of needs, I need those things. That's part of being a person. And I need comfort, too. And if I can't get those things and there's no hope of getting them, I bet you I would last 12 minutes and I'd be throwing chairs and screaming and yelling and, and like, aggressing to get a glass of water. Um, so think about little guys, little girls, and they came into the world and they, they screamed and they cried and they got something, right? Then we have this expectation that they're going to communicate with us. But what if that's broken? What if that isn't working the way we hoped it would work? And they don't really have the communication to tell us. That's got to be like number one on the hit parade of what we're teaching this kiddo. 
functional communication. And functional communication means that I have a way of expressing myself. It does not necessarily mean speech. It might mean, you know, getting them an iPad or something else or teaching them with icons that they can ask for a break. Because if I can't ask for a break, I'm going to hit you. If I have no way of telling you I need a break, or if nobody's listening to me when I say I need a break, at some point I'm going to take matters into my own hand and do what I have to do to get what I need. And, and so you really got to be mindful. And what we see a lot of the times, you know, that we, we chart behavior for kiddos and like, you know, what are they doing? We see, you know, that their aggression is way up here, right? And their communication is way down here. But then we teach functional communication and the behavior starts to come down. And then they cross each other like this. And I call it the magic X that when you teach functional communication, the challenging behavior, especially aggression, goes whoop, because aggressing takes time and energy, and it's imprecise. I may or may not get what I want. So if you give me a way to ask for what I want, that's less energy if you've done it well, if you've taught it properly. So I for sure want to make sure that what, and you know, think about it. I know men that are 35 years old that have speech but sometimes they don't know how to say, I'm upset, I need a break, I can't do this, I feel, you know, scared, right? Because they're busy being macho, and so they hit, right? Because nobody had taught them how to say, I need this. Let's not us be a part of that community. Let's make sure that all of our kids on the spectrum know how to communicate their needs. Because if they do know how to communicate their needs, then they won't have to hit no matter how old they are, no, how to, no matter how big they are. Okay, we're apparently we're way out of time. I'm I can't believe how out of time we are. We have to go. I thank you guys all so much for being here. Uh, kudos and hugs to all of you. Uh, I will be back here tomorrow. Until then, give your kiddos a hug from me and one for you too. Bye bye for now.